Welcome back to AI Dialogues. I'm your host, Stephanie Verkoyan, an educational developer at McMaster University. And today I'm joined by Kim Dai, who's the Vice Provost of Teaching and Learning at McMaster. Kim's here to help us explore a broader perspective on how generative AI could reshape undergraduate education. Let's get started. Thanks so much for being here, Kim. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Glad to be here. So I was hoping you could start us off by telling us a little bit more about your role. What is a vice provost of teaching and learning responsible for? Well, I can tell you what they're responsible for here at Mac, and it varies a little bit at different universities. Uh, part of it is the governance of undergraduate education. So I work with associate deans at each of our faculties on policy around uh, course management and curriculum, quality control of, of undergraduate programs, um, policies around academic integrity, and student absences. Uh, and then every so often we find time together to just talk about the future of post-secondary education, which is a, a lot of fun. So I see many intersection points for how kind of generative AI may, may have an impact on some of those things. I'm curious, how did you first learn about generative AI and what was your initial reaction to it? It takes me a little bit of time to remember back. It's, you know, time moves in weird ways these days. But if I think back to kind of November 2022, when people were saying, this is going to change everything, and it's now, uh, you know, free access to these generative AI tools, chat GPT being the first one that folks were talking about a lot. My partner teaches in uh, political science at uh, Wilfrid Laurier, and he entered in some of his questions uh, into ChatGPT. And I have to say, you know, reading those, we both thought, eh, that's okay. You know, that, that would probably be good enough for a, you know, a grade 11 paper that might get a C <laughs> in, a, in a first year writing class. So we, we didn't think that it was particularly a threat at the time in that iteration. But you know, recognizing things move quickly and certainly technologies improve at an incredible pace these days. By the time January rolled around and we were back on campus, the technology had already improved and it was a little bit better in different spaces depending upon how the question was asked and what the expectations were in the assessment. And definitely coming back to campus in January, there was a lot of panic. People had kind of let this stew a little bit over the holidays and the break, and now we're beginning to worry that all students were going to be using this. And we also didn't have any evidence at that time of how many students were using it or interested in using it or had experimented with it, but there was definitely a tangible panic that, that many folks had. And I think it spread in different fields at different paces as the sophistication of the tools increased. So it became clear very quickly that we, we had to start a conversation. One of the best things about being at McMaster is that people are great at that troubleshooting, at the creativity, the innovation of, okay, this is happening, but here's what I want to do and here's what I want to try. And when we put together our task force to explore generative AI in the undergraduate curriculum, and immediately the focus was on academic integrity as well. Everyone wanted to be involved. Everyone had thoughts. Everyone had contributions. They really wanted to contribute to 
the best possible approach. So that was that felt good pretty quickly that so many people wanted to have conversations. There was also the reaction of, well, the only thing I can do now is go back to in-person invigilation. And that, that killed me just a little bit, right? You, you want to think that the things that instructors have done well in reimagining their assessments, in testing and assessing differently, doing so in these, these spaces that aren't invigilated, that really allows students to explore uh, their own thought process and to answer interesting questions. You don't want to lose that. But I completely also empathize with an instructor who's saying, but I don't know if they're writing it. I don't want to read 300 computer-generated essays. That's that's devalues my job. It devalues the student experience. So we're kind of in this these extremes for a little bit of time. The task force uh, was, was great. We, people having conversations and trying to figure out what could work, what wouldn't work, how to change the culture on campus. And so lots of different cultures, right? The culture of students in thinking that resorting to some form of academic integrity infraction <laughs> is the way to go, trying to change the culture so that they see the value in doing the assignments themselves, and trying to change the culture of our, of our faculty to make sure that they felt that if we were asking them to assess differently and do things differently, and not panic, that we had to support them. Going back to your original question, there was sort of this ebb and flow of, okay, this doesn't seem like a big deal. Okay, this is a big deal, but here's what we can do. That's not going to work. You know, kind of the, the, a lot of emotions that went up and down, but overall feeling like we have a, a good campus community to be open and have those conversations. I think the thing that really resonated to me is, is this idea that it is, it is an evolving conversation, in part because this technology is, is constantly evolving. The mistake some people have made is they've come in at one point and then they have, haven't continued the conversation from there, potentially missing out on how the conversation has continued on since then. And I'm starting to get a, a flavor, a sense of kind of your aspirations for how we might be responding to AI, but I was hoping you could expand a little bit on how you see AI fitting into education at McMaster. We can't avoid it. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. We can't hide our heads in the sand. But we can also think about how this might benefit and change uh, university education. This will absolutely be a part of the workforce from now on. And so we want our students to be able to use these generative AI tools, to use them well, to use them with thoughtfulness, to use them with care, to know when not to use them and when to use them. I think it is our responsibility to, to provide an environment where students can explore and, and understand the benefits and the, the risks of generative AI. And if we don't provide them that space to do that over the next four or five years as undergraduates, they're going to be in for a shock when they're, when they're in different, you know, in the workforce, in their communities, in global spaces. So yes, I think we do have to think about how it, it will be a part of, the, of undergraduate education. I think the other thing that I always try to keep in mind also is what we hope students graduate with. And I think an important aspect of undergraduate education 
is each student finding their own voice. Here's all the information. Here are different perspectives. Now form your own opinion and be able to communicate that opinion. And that can't happen if they just use generative AI. They're not going to find out who they are and how their voice fits in to the rest of the world and how they respond to other people in the world. So I, I really want students to feel that, that this is you know, a time over the next four or five years where they can develop that voice. And there are lots of ways that we can support developing that voice, but in the end, it comes from inside. Now, traditionally, developing that voice means having conversations, right? It's like we're talking about this and we're hearing different perspectives. It means being in a tutorial and hearing what other students are saying. It means being in interdisciplinary spaces where engineers and social science students and folks from the humanities are listening to each other and they have these aha moments of, oh, I didn't know that that was another perspective on this challenge. And I didn't know that that was an experience that people had. So that happens in spaces with other real human beings. Uh, when students are working on essays, they should absolutely always be writing their own essay, but they should also be talking about it with other people. Here's my idea. Here's my thesis. These are the resources that I'm using. And other people should be saying, that sounds really cool, but read this. Or have you thought about this idea? Or that's a really interesting perspective. Now think about it from this perspective. So we want students to be talking to other students. If we now add in a generative AI voice, is that such a bad thing? Like, is it such a bad thing for a student to say, this is what I'm thinking about, what have I missed? And for generative AI to say, ah, you didn't think about looking at it from this perspective, or perhaps you haven't read this paper. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing to have another way of bringing in that perspective. Is generative AI yet sophisticated enough to make sure it's not missing anything? I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, Yes in some spaces, no in others. Should it be the only voice that they're listening to? No. They should still have those conversations with the real people. But I don't hate the idea of generative AI being kind of that guide where students can ask questions where if they read a paper and it's making no sense to them, it's not clicking, to get a summary couldn't hurt. It's not instead of reading the paper, but it might help them get into the paper. So I, I, I think we do need to give students the tools or the skills to use these tools well and to use them in ways that help them and support them and move them forward, but don't prevent them from becoming their own person and finding their own voice. I think this idea that for a lot of times, like taking the essay as an example, where it's assigned as an assignment and it's kind of the standalone thing that's separate from there aren't conversations that happen around it. And so I love this idea of like actually integrating it more meaningfully into that learning process, learning experience, and treating AI as one voice, providing perspective. And I also have had some conversations with instructors who look at what generative AI is capable of outputting now and say that that's 
similar to what they see, like second-year students kind of striving for more of that generalized, very formal type of voice. And so I think it's quite interesting to think how that's going to impact kind of that evolution of one's own voice as they progress through that university career. Yeah, and I think that idea of, of thinking about this not in a single course, but in the career, in a program, how we treat or think about or allow or disallow generative AI should be different in a first-year course from a fourth-year course. I think that there are some skills we want students to to build in first year where they have to go and find the resources and they have to know how to do those searches and not have someone else do the search for them as part of the getting the other voices, but they still have to know how to gather that information and critically assess that information. So maybe first year is a little bit different in terms of what, what we would consider be a good use of generative AI. As they go through second year and third year and fourth year, maybe in fourth year, doing you know, kind of this grunt work of getting the basics down, sure, maybe maybe AI is useful for a fourth year student to get some of that initial work done because they do need to delve into more knowledge generation, new information, pulling ideas together in different ways. And so if generative AI gave those upper year students more time to do that creative work, I'm kind of all for it, right? That's what they should be doing in fourth year. So I think right now a lot of instructors are kind of defaulting to prohibiting use across the board. And in conversations I've had with people trying to dig into a little more about the nuance of how it can, can be used to enhance learning without undermining it. How can we better support instructors in feeling more comfortable about trusting their students to use these tools in a way that supports their learning? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I can't fault instructors for defaulting to the prohibition because that's what our policy says. So our policy says to students, assume that you're not allowed to use it unless you've been told otherwise. So we're all in alignment. But even with that policy... I think that there's lots we can do to provide instructors with ways of making informed choices and giving them different options and showing them different ways of doing things. And I think what works really well at McMaster is that people are absolutely in these little pockets. They're trying things in their classroom. And maybe they're not talking about it yet because they don't know if it's going to work. Um, they don't know if it's going to be a horrible failure, um, if all the students are going to get A pluses in the course. They don't know what's going to happen, but they're experimenting. And I think we need to provide a safe space for them to talk about their experimentation and be able to say, I don't know if this is going to work, to be able to say, this didn't work. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do differently, though, and try again without feeling like they are being judged by their colleagues or without feeling like their careers are you know, at stake in some way that, that they're, they're not teaching well. So we have to provide that space to do the experimentation and to talk about it because I do genuinely believe that faculty and instructors at McMaster are willing to hear those stories. They're willing to hear from their colleagues who have tried something and it has worked. It's like, oh, well, we did this in you know, our third year philosophy course 
and it worked. And here's why we think it worked. And here's the conversation we had with our students at the beginning of the year, the beginning of the class, which really set up the expectations and the culture. So yeah, maybe go and try that in your second year anatomy course. I, I, there are things that are transferable in terms of that setting the culture, setting the expectations, and and assessing in different ways. I would also say two other things related to that. I think one is, I genuinely believe we need to assess in different ways, regardless of generative AI. This is like the pandemic, given us a kick to do that, but some folks were already doing that. And I think we do need to think about why we're assessing, what are our goals, what are the outcomes, what are we hoping the students get out of the assessment, and what, what, how does that fit into the program. So I think reevaluating our assessments is something lots of folks were already doing and needs to be the focus rather than how do we deal with generative AI. The other piece, when I've talked to folks who find that they are able to assess differently and that generative AI isn't posing a challenge, is admittedly in those classrooms that are smaller, where there's a relationship between the students and the faculty, they can have conversations, they recognize each other. I don't always remember everyone's name, but I recognize them. I know you're in my class. I can say hi to you outside of class. That relationship, incredibly important, and the trust that comes with that, so that when you start a class by saying, I don't want you to use generative AI for this piece, because here are the skills that you need to learn, and in this assessment, I do want you to use it in this way, if there's a relationship and there's trust, students are generally going to do that. I think it's true of academic integrity as well, that students in a class where they know that you recognize their face are less likely to engage in academic dishonesty. So that's really easy for me to say, but we have faculty who are teaching classes that have 600, 700 first-year students. There's no relationship with the university. They're new to our campus. There's no relationship with the faculty member. There's no opportunity to build relationship with 700 people in the course of 12 weeks. There's often a relationship with the TAs. So I think that's an opportunity to really have conversations with our TAs about why this is important and, and build that. But, you know, it's also hard to build a relationship in a couple of weeks before that first assessment is due. I'll concede that while I think that relationship building and trust are essential and core to this, that that is not always easy to accomplish. But if we can focus on finding ways to do that, then I think it'll be easier to deal with the generative AI, the academic integrity, allowing students to really get value out of the assessments that we're giving them. Yeah, I think that there's a degree of accountability when you have that, you have that sense that somebody trusts you and that's reciprocated. So as an administrator, you're having to think through these implications of generative AI in a more abstract way. But as you've alluded to, this can look different for different individuals, different instructors in different contexts. And I'm curious about how you're experiencing some of the impacts of generative AI as an individual, how it's showing up in, in your life, in your work. So I, I teach a, a course in the Foundations of Community Engagement. So it's an interdisciplinary course, which 
in itself can be a challenge when you have engineers and health science students and humanities students, social science students, science students, business students all in the same room because there are admittedly different cultures in each of our faculties and different expectations around what assessments look like and how they're going to be evaluated. And so in that class, my co-instructor, Sashena Singh and I, we did have a conversation with students about generative AI. In this course, the projects that students work on are mostly in groups. So we ask them to be accountable to each other and be honest and transparent with each other. Here's the work I've done. Here's where it comes from. And to build relationships in those groups. But it's also a course that is very much focused on applying the principles of community engagement and thinking about what are really universal global challenges to the Hamilton community. So it was pretty easy for us, I would say, to pose a broad question that if it was entered into chat GPT or another generative AI tool would come up with a very broad answer or an answer that is situated in the States. But we asked them to situate it in Hamilton. And so they weren't going to find anything in either a search or in using a generative AI tool that would make that connection of these broad ideas to the Hamilton community. So that's pretty, that makes our job a little bit easier because even if they went in and got some of the general ideas and principles and philosophies, they still had to do the work of applying it to a local example and provide local community groups and local names and all of those pieces. So I had it a little bit easy, but I have seen in talking to other instructors and talking to students that that link back to linking it to ideas that we've talked about in class or linking it to this case study that we talked about in class. Those work, they're imperfect, but they work pretty well because students might still be able to use generative AI, but they have to use it iteratively. They, they have to re-ask the question and reframe the question. And that's still, that's a skill, and that's a, a way of, of thinking, a way of generating ideas. But most of them aren't going to do that. If there are students who are in a situation where they feel that they have to hand in something that's not their own work, generally writing it themselves or iteratively working with generative AI are going to take the same length of time. I really appreciate having seen some of those examples where the connection has made, been made back to here's what we talked about, here are ideas that came from class, here's a case study that we're looking at, and then asking the students to build upon it. So I, I think that that is something that I've seen working well and, and emulates what we did in our community engagement course. Some of what you're saying really rings true with conversations I've had with instructors where they, they almost get increasingly frustrated when thinking of types of assessments and then thinking, well, generative AI can do that. It can do this too. It can do that. So what am I going to do? But to your point about it can do it very broadly or can do it to a point beyond which you really do need to kind of integrate the human back into the equation, either through iteratively prompting the, the AI tool or at that point taking over the writing yourself. And I think that that's kind of the point where educators can take heart and yeah. uh, recognize that it's perhaps not as dire a situation as, as we might think. Yeah, absolutely, right? I, I mean, faculty instructors bring into the classroom their own way of teaching, their own examples, their own research. And so it often is a very personal 
experience for the instructor, and so the assessments can reflect that. Now, maybe that's not true of, you know, first-year calculus and <laughs> all of those things that are pretty much taught the same way wherever you are. But, you know, thinking back even over the last 20 years, the way in which people bring applications of the knowledge into their classroom are unique. To end things off, I was curious if you have any predictions for what might happen over the next year or maybe something you'd like to see happen. I would like to see us having more of those conversations and sharing examples and providing forums for instructors to to share what they're doing and, and again, what's working, what's not working. When I think about the future of post-secondary education in universities and all of these pieces that are that are playing into it, I really always come back to thinking about our campus as a community. You know, we, we have a responsibility to one another and in that responsibility is providing the best possible supports and structures to students to learn well and to feel comfortable learning. I think that we sometimes create spaces where students panic. This paper is due at midnight. I haven't started it. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to get generative AI to write something. So rather than prohibiting generative AI, let's step back and think how the student got into that situation. Why do they procrastinate? Some instructors do great work where they have multiple milestones for their essays that helps students that probably does sideswipe some of the generative AI because they have to do that iterative piece. And, you know, maybe if we could deal with that, that panic and that anxiety by being a little bit more empathetic and kind when it comes to deadlines and saying, yeah, hand it in tomorrow. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a 90 paper. Hand it in. Because you're going to learn more <laughs> from doing that than just trying to hand in something that you, isn't your own work. So if we can have more of those conversations and approach them with kindness and empathy, I would be incredibly happy. I would also like to say that that kindness and empathy has to extend to our instructors as well. The labor that's falling on them to try and deal with everything that's part of teaching that isn't just having these great conversations and talking about things that are really cool and interesting and inspiring is escalating. And now having to worry about how many of my students are cheating and how many of them are using generative AI and how do I stop them from doing that? That's real work. It takes real time. And emotional labor <laughs> is real as well. So any way in which the university can provide that environment that is supportive not only to students, but to our faculty and instructors as well, I think will be a better space. And then we don't have to focus just on what's the new shiny tool that we have to worry about, but it's thinking about creating that culture where, where the structures, the university is resilient. That if things change, we have structures in a campus that is ready for it, and we don't have to keep expecting students to be resilient and faculty to be resilient, but we have structures that are malleable and are ready for whatever happens next. And it's not a change that's going to happen overnight, nor should it, but as these conversations continue, continue to evolve over time. Absolutely. Yeah, we have to have a bit of patience, right? Yes. Thank you again so much, Kim, for being here. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. It's been a lot of fun. Until next time.